We're now steaming back into Main Street Station and the 20th century. Or is it the 21st century at this point? Who knows? Either way, if you'll be leaving us here, I'd like to thank you for riding with us aboard the Animusings podcast. That's kind of... That's bittersweet, yeah. Hello! And yes, as you mentioned, welcome to the... Well, uh, the last Animusings episode for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to take a long break after this. Well, actually, we'll do a wrap-up episode after this one. But then just it's kind of basically an episode where we give our final thoughts if there's anything that we missed or I've looked up and heard some mistakes I've made and basically made record and be like, okay, I'm going to correct these in this episode. So sort of a talk back kind of thing, but mostly between the two of us. But for now, we're actually here to discuss uh, the 60th film in the Walt Disney animation canon. And that film is Encanto. If we haven't, yeah, we haven't introduced ourselves. I'm Kayla King. I'm David King. And we have our two guests. We figured it'd be fitting for, I guess, finale episode or not finale episode. It's our last episode of the season, our five-year season. Our, yes, our five-year-long <laughs> season. Two guests um, that have been on probably more than any other guests. And not only that, they were these two guests have told us if there's any episodes where you need us and nobody wants to join in, we'll join in. And they have been <laughs> amazing. So I like to introduce... Sade? Hello, I'm back again. I promise I won't swear too much. <laughs> but we love the Donald Duck noises you I make. Know. I was <laughs> just saying, like, well, no, maybe I should throw at least a few intentional ones in there. And our other guest, Ben Jimin. <laughs> Hello, I am Ben uh, Space Jimin. And I promise, <laughs> I promise I will swear as much as humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to make this explicit. Yeah, yeah. The, I, this will I be mean, the one that gets the I don't warning. Know. I'm just kidding. We I'm were kidding. we were talking pre-recording like which characters in Encanto we simp for. So yeah, who knows yeah. where this conversation's gonna go? Yeah, we'll keep it PG, but just keep in mind that in our minds, it's a lot dirtier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man! So I'm gonna give the history quote-unquote, history of Encanto. Um, this goes back to 2016. Oh, my goodness. Whoa. Really? We're going back that far, huh? I mean, yeah. that feels like forever ago right now, so... Yeah. It really does. It feels It yeah, feels that... like that That was, like, the cusp of when 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 there was a major turn in world events. That was yeah. six years ago. That was six years ago. Oh, my when goodness. When we shifted into the bad timeline. <laughs> uh, oh, I forgot, I forgot though. Uh, before we get too far, I'd also like to, you know, give one last shout out to our old friend, the Araquan bird. No! Oh, wait. Actually, it's kind of good to hear him yeah. for a change, you know? Hey, buddy. Good to see you. All right, we'll see you in the future, hopefully. Bye. So, it's 2016. We got Jared Bush and Byron Howard. They just finished up directing Zootopia. And yeah. They want to work on a musical. A musical about an extended family. That's their idea. But also, that same year, Moana came out, and Jared Bush had actually worked with Lin-Manuel Miranda, because uh, Jared Bush wrote the screenplay for Moana, and Lin-Manuel Miranda did the music. And they're like, hey, why don't you join us? Uh, we have an idea. We want to do a musical about an extended family. And Lin-Manuel Miranda says, I would love to work on a Latin American musical. That's been a goal of mine. And problem is a... Okay, so we got Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is Puerto Rican-American, but both Jared Bush and Byron Howard are very white men, and (laughs) they love the idea of uh, working on a Latin American musical, but they weren't sure 
which, like, there's a lot to Latin America, so they weren't sure what part. They didn't want to homogenize it, like, in the past. They just wanted, they wanted to focus on one country. And the one they kept coming back to was Colombia. And the reason this actually, one of the reasons it got solidified as Colombia is because they were working with two filmmakers, uh, Juan Rendon and Natalie Ozma, both who were, who had worked on the Zootopia documentary, Imagining Zootopia. And both were Colombian, and they both kept bringing up uh, Colombia, and they were like, you know what? There's something there. There's something with this country. So actually, uh, these two individuals ended up being consultants as well. Uh, there's a lot of people who end up becoming consultants, and I'll get into that. Osma and Rendon in, uh, joined them on their research trip to Colombia, along with Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Lin also brought his father along, because mm-hmm. it's about family, so. Yeah. Um... They visited uh, Bogota and Cartagena. It could be Cartagena. Forgive me. The place that really inspired uh, Encanto is a place called Salento next to Cocora Valley. Uh, so that location, Encanto looks a lot like that valley. Oh, okay. Similar with previous uh, Disney films, or the most recent ones, they created what was known as the Colombian Cultural Trust, where they assembled uh, local architects, documentarians, musicians, artists, etc. to help basically provide insight and make this movie feel as realistic as possible. During their trip, they tried a multitude of different foods, spoke with like artisan groups uh, who could talk about the cultural significance of certain crafts. As well, they talked with botanists to get an idea of Colombians' biodiversity, and that contributes to Isabella's powers later. (laughs) So after the research trip, they realized, okay, we're going to need another voice in this that's not just ours. So they actually brought in Cuban-American writer Sharice Castro-Smith. And for those who don't know, she worked on uh, Devious Maids. I've seen the show. It's fun. It's cool. It's a, it's a lifetime type show. But she also worked on The Haunting of Hill House, which is really good. <laughs> mm. Like, really good. Mm. And she was brought on as a writer and co-director. And the reason she was brought on was because a lot of her strength was in writing fi- family dynamics. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot. After, if, if, you, if any of you have not watched The Haunting of Hill House, that makes a lot of sense. From what I read, there were multiple versions. And um, Wikipedia lists all these versions. And I'm not, but the problem is I don't want to go off Wikipedia because it didn't have a, it, it had a source, but it was a book that I could not access. So I'm not going to use those. However, Jared Bush, God bless this man, decided a couple months after Encanto came out, that he said, hey, I'm going to do a free-for-all where you can ask me whatever Encanto questions you want, and I will try to answer as many as I can. And this helped me a lot in, like, giving some background information and giving me some insight, because this this actually helped with a lot of things like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's really cool. So I might give some little tidbits here and there as mm-hmm. we go through. They worked on the story, and actually Lynn had wrote uh, eight original songs for this film. Now, they had planned to send the animators to Columbia in March 2020. Oh, oh no. We, we all had a lot of plans in March 2020. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that didn't know, happen. What, what, what was the problem? <laughs> so a lot of the animators did end up working remotely. And actually, a lot of the film was put on hold. From what I've gathered, it seems like a lot of the voice actors worked on the film in 2021, which is kind of... Which is interesting because the film was released in 2021, so 
Uh, but that's Disney for you. They're like, okay, you have only this much amount of time. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> so. Oh, boy. So the film was released theatrically on November 24th. However, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, so it had a 30-day theatrical run, but then it was released on Disney Plus on December 24th of 2021. This was like a very strange era of movie releases because it like... They did a similar thing for uh, Black Widow and a couple Mm -hmm. other movies that came out that year. Uh, This actually has an effect on what I'm about to say, because I think this is going to develop into a new trend. I think this is the first time, like, Disney has decided to do this. They didn't really do that with Raya. They released it theatrically first, and that didn't do as well. But this one, okay, so the film, from what I gather of the film's budget, it was around $150 Encanto had grossed about $96 million in domestically and $160 million in other territories, m- making a total of $256 million, which that's not, ex- in terms of money, that's not exactly a big success for Disney, but something happened. <laughs> so as soon as it got released to Disney+, Plus, it became huge, like insanely huge. And I think we all kind of noticed that too, especially if you're if you're anywhere on the social media zeitgeist, you would have noticed it. So first off, Encanto, once it was released on Disney Plus, was an instant hit, and they were reporting that it was the fastest title on that service to reach 200 million hours by viewing time by the by users. Mm. Not only that, the soundtrack had reached number one on the Billboard charts, which that is insane because it beat out Adele, like. This is, and then not only that, their song, We Don't Talk About Bruno, was the highest charting song from a Disney animated film in more than 26 years. Jeez. That, it, it ranked higher than Let It Go. Just let that for a second. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, that, that, that makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, nothing, nothing against people who like Let It Go, by the way, but I, I personally, I like this song better. Little personal anecdote: We actually just watched the movie again last night, in anticipation of this. And then after the movie finished, uh, Kayla and I went for a little walk downtown, and we were walking by some of the restaurants. There's this one uh, Irish place that was just really popping that night; like it was just full of people. And as you walk by, you know, there's loads of conversation in the background. I'm like, wait a minute, is that? Are they playing? We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> And it, it was true. It was true. At and I was like, bar wow. On a Thursday night. After right after we had watched Encanto. Did, so that was that was really funny and definitely speaks to the uh, staying power of not just that song, but of Encanto's soundtrack in general. Let me put it to you this way. Also, in January of twenty twenty two, the Encanto hashtag was viewed more than eleven point five billion times on TikTok. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and like this i actually kind of found humorous um so there of course uh, a lot of people were making videos about Encanto, and one of the most popular ones which is called we don't talk about apple bottom jeans (laughs) (laughs) which is which is we don't talk about bruno but then they use the lyrics from low by um oh my goodness it's the song apple bottom jeans boots with the fur anyway yeah from from tropic thunder Yes, yes, Ben, from Tropic Thunder. Good job. But it has, that video has 32 million views, and it's only been out for, like, five months. Mm. Along with that, a lot of social media trends also showed, like, people posting videos of their kids Mm. who were getting excited because they saw themselves, like, someone that looked like them on screen for the Mm. first time. 
I don't know if it's part of your 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 history or not, but I saw an article a little while back about this one girl who wrote. I forget to uh, which which person specifically, uh, but she was like, "Hey, I wear glasses, and I would love if you made a main character that wears glasses." Yes, uh, that was actually to Jared Bush. Uh, she he, she sent that actually a couple years before Encanto was coming out, and he said. Um, he had actually stated that, like, he, they had already prepared for the main character. For those who don't know, Mirabelle, uh, our main character, is Glasses. She is their, our first Disney heroine with Glasses, interestingly enough. But yes, there was a young girl who reached out to Jared Bush or reached out to Disney and was like, hey, could you guys actually create a character with the Glasses? I never see that. And funny enough, they had already planned uh, to have this character wear glasses before she had even said anything <laughs> so he was like i didn't i couldn't say anything but i'm like oh just you wait just get a few more years kid these glasses are iconic though i love i love mirabelle's glasses yeah yeah, yeah. uh i i felt that too so i wear glasses uh and as Same. a kid except yes, not as a child I, sorry i did actually wear, I, I wear i started wearing glasses when i was 10 actually and one of the things that kind of bothered me was every if you guys didn't don't remember, you probably guys saw this, or maybe you didn't notice it. Most when someone had wore glasses, they were seen as a nerd or as a geek or a loser. So I and I was actually made to kind of hate my glasses. Mm. Um, and not that no one really poked fun at me for them, but there was a point when I started wearing contacts, and someone had said to, said to me. Oh, what an ugly duckling situation. I can't believe you look hot now. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, that's that's so stupid. That's such a terrible trope. I'm not gonna lie, when they when I saw the trailer for this, I actually turned to him and I'm like, Oh my gosh, David, she has glasses! She's adorable! Oh my god. Cause I didn't I never get to see that. I never get to see a main character with glasses. So yeah, that I was excited about that. I think what, so. what makes it even better is that, because there's also that trope of, like, the character starts out nerdy with glasses, and they have this wonderful transformation, and they lose the glasses, like you said. You yes. The whole thing with the contacts. And that didn't happen with Mirabelle. She has her glasses. She's still her quirky, nerdy self with her yarn embroidery. Like, oh, I love her. She's a amazing character. Mm. The one last thing I will say about the glasses, too, is they're actually were Indestructible. Some... Well, here's the funny part. There are fan theories... A lot of people were actually asking Jared Bush if who, uh, if their mom, so when the mom has the ability to, um, when she cooks, she can heal people. And they said, well, why couldn't she heal her husband and daughter's sight? And Jared Bush had said, well, she did, because the, that's a part of who they are. She doesn't want to change who they are. Oh, I love that. So it, it's kind of true. Glasses kind of be a little, do become a part of who you are as a person. Uh, I mean, I know people who have worn fake glasses as a statement. So <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly how uh, what what the definition of her powers are, but it felt like it was like minor physical ailments, or like, or well, not minor physical ailments, but like shit where like people got like personally injured, and having glasses isn't an injury. I mean, it is a disability. Okay. Let's put a pin in these. Let's put a pin in because I know we're going to talk. We'll talk about this. I think, there's, okay, there's a difference between like glasses. an injury where you've broken your arm or you've got a bee sting. And then there's a disability. It, you, you're not like you're still a capable person despite your disability. Yeah. She, yes. she did not fix legless Joe in the town. Yeah. 
What? <laughs> what? <laughs> remember oh, that, yeah. remember the war veteran character. in the middle of the town? She didn't make oh, him grow new legs. God. Oh my gosh. All right, you... If uh, okay. if he can start putting in head cannons, I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, go no, ahead. I told go you ahead. we were going to be here for a while. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Let's back up for a sec. Let's back up for a sec. Okay. So... First of all, let me... Okay, reviews. Reviews. It mostly got positive reviews. They praise the visuals, the music, and the representation. Actually, so our Raya episode, one of the complaints was that Raya was inspired by Southeast Asia, but most of the actors they brought in, even though they were Asian, they were mostly Eastern Asian actors. And there was a little bit of disappointment with that. In this film, almost all of the main actors are from Colombia or are have family from Colombia. I can like when I was looking, there was only like one actor and that's Jessica Darrow who plays Louisa and she's Cuban American. Mm. But yeah, everyone else, Stephanie uh, Beatrice her her dad is from Colombia. John Leguizamo. Born in Colombia actually. Mm-hmm. Well, like it, it, didn't know that. It yeah. Oh, there's only one other person I can think of who's a real Far Cry, and that's, of course, our, our man Alan Tudyk. We'll get into oh. that. We'll get into, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into Reprising that. Reprising his role so, as the chicken from Moana. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was also praised for not being homogenized. So, if you've noticed, like in past films, Raya was just a homogenization of uh, Southeastern Asian countries. Moana was just all um, uh, Pacific Islander countries, etc., this was specifically Colombia. This was it was giving attention to Colombia as a country, and then not only that, this movie gave attention to Colombia in real life. People were like, "Oh," started looking up Colombia and learning more about Colombia, mm-hmm. which, as a country, they don't really get that much attention, unfortunately. Usually, the attention that they get is is less than uh, favorable from the yeah. from yes. from news media, anyway. Exactly. So. And another way they received praise was actually from therapists. Therapists have used this to explain trauma Mm. and healing. And especially, uh, this also brought more attention on mental health as well. Yeah. Mm. Interestingly enough. Well, they they, they consulted with uh, therapists, if I'm not mistaken, yes? Yes, they actually consulted with, like, psychologists, uh, therapists, um, grief counselors, a multitude of people in the mental health field about family drama to, to help create this film. But yeah, this this also put mental health a little bit more in the media, especially the mental health of first-gen children of immigrants. As well, Encanto received three Oscar nominations for Best Original Score, Best Original Song for Dos Aruguitas, and Best Animated Feature, and it won Best Animated Feature. Nice. So, it's it's weird only... that we don't talk about Bruno wasn't nominated, but that, they also... <sighs> They actually, so here's the interesting part. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people ask about that, like, why didn't you use We Don't Talk About Bruno? Its popularity occurred after the Oscar nominations were in. You telling me, like, the, 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 the Disney people who were working on the film weren't jamming to that song before they, they submitted? Yeah, but I, I don't think they saw it. They didn't see it as, like, Oscar bait. They saw uh, Dos Ariguitos, uh as the winning, as the oscar-winning song Mm -hmm. but it didn't win but then also because of his success so in february 2022 Encanto was hailed by disney ceo bob shapek as company the company's latest franchise 
Oh. Uh oh. Oh yeah, there's gonna be more. As soon as as soon as he's as soon as she's been, she said the words Chapek and franchise in relation to this, I'm like, oh, oh no, I have They're mixed gonna... feelings. Encanto yeah, two, have... the reckoning. Well, okay, like I would love more of like Peppa's side of the family because I mean I loved all the characters, but I like love her kids. <laughs> yes, we'll I... get we'll get into yeah, the characters. I actually, should... yeah. Oh no, no, we're gonna. There's so much I want to discuss about this. Plus, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that I learned about this that I want to bring up. So, um, before we do that, should we... Okay, I, personal histories, I guess. I, I, I guess I gave mine, which is about the whole glasses thing. But there is one thing I want to bring up with this um, film. You know what? No. You know what? I'm, when we get into the music, I'm going to bring it up. Okay. okay. Well, put, it, put a pin but, in that. Don't forget. Yep, put a pin in that. And we get around to the music for sure. Yes. Or, or, or as we, you know, as we, <laughs> we, we just don't it. talk about the music. We don't <laughs> talk about music. <laughs> no, no, no. In uh, this movie? So, uh, I mean, but David and I had seen this only once before. Um, and honestly, at the time, uh, it was, I think we were just more in just a, we just wanted to watch something that was very relaxing and didn't have to think think of anything. I remember. I, yeah, I was trying to remember what the context was for it, but it wasn't that long ago. I would say it was just it was near the beginning of the year, even. Yeah, but I rem- and, but I remember yeah. you're like, I want I want to watch something easy going because we were choosing between this and like, I know what I know what um, Schindler's List, Candyman. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, yeah one of the one of these is a lot more relaxing. <laughs> I will. I will mention, even though it's not necessarily in the right context for this podcast, that the new Candyman is actually pretty good. Yes, it is. That's um, what I but, but yeah, we were, we were debating, and David said, "You know, I kind of just want to watch a film that's a little more fun." I, so I then you watched really Candyman, would... obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, nowhere near the amount of of family trauma in that film. Um. So when we definitely <laughs> generational trauma, though. <laughs> oh, jeez. So. Although, so when we watched the film, at the time we were like, it's, you know, we, Dave and I were like, okay, it's good. And, but then we were like finding a couple issues with it. I think we were both kind of thrown off by the fact this film does not fit, fit the Disney formula at all. Yeah, no dead parents. Uh, well, actually, no, wait, there's well, a dead, there's a dead well, grandparent. There's one dead grandparent, but. Yeah. yeah. But it's not the same. You didn't see him fall off a cliff or whatever. Well, okay, anyway. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Point no, is... we did. We saw murder. I mean... All right, never mind. <laughs> it was way worse. I take but it then, back. Um... <laughs> but then we ended up watching it, when we watched it this time, Dave and I both enjoyed it so much more and found a lot of, like, uh, when we, we when we were just focusing on the film as a film rather than just as a popcorn flick, because I don't think this film is at all a popcorn flick, and I think that's what we kind of expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we saw it the first time. Oh, yeah. I would say watching it the second time, which was, you know, just before we recorded this. We were taking a closer look at it. We already knew the beats, so we were looking for the things that maybe we thought, well, this felt kind of weird in the movie. Like, it felt like... And then we looked and we're like, nope, the clues were there. It's a much tighter movie than we anticipated the first time. So the second viewing was even better. And I came away from it appreciating the movie so much more. Yeah, it's not that I disliked it the first time, but I definitely understand now, like having watched it a second time, the the depth and care and like understanding that goes into it, and why people cherish this one already, why it's going down as a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who wants to go first about their personal personal experience with this film? 
I'll, I'll take it. I don't have much uh, in that. I did see it in theaters, uh, maybe a couple of weeks before it came to Disney Plus. Um, I would, you know, just seeing like advertisement for it, and I was like, yeah, it looks like it might be fun. You know, it's it's got Latin American culture, so that'll be like relatable. And so I asked my mom if she wanted to go see it with me. Uh, and normally when I like take her to go see a Disney movie, I'm like, maybe it'll be like a bonding thing because i think we we saw merida which was like the mother daughter thing and she hated it uh we went to see coco because i was i had already like seen each movie once and i was like i should bring back my mom so we can bond over it so she hated my brave i took her back to go i took her to go see coco uh because i was like yeah we'll just cry together at the end she didn't cry um wow. yeah <laughs> tough woman um <laughs> uh, so we, I hadn't seen it. I was like, you know, you want to go see this? It, it looks like fun. I'll pay. And so we go, uh, and we both really loved it. And uh, I was really eager to see it again. So I was thrilled when it came out to Disney Plus, uh, a little bit after because then we watched it again. Um, and I, I've seen it. Maybe this, I did watch it a couple nights ago for this, but I had already seen it maybe five times at that point. <laughs> and even then, like on my most recent viewing, there were like two little things that I like I still hadn't picked up. Like I hadn't noticed in the background or whatnot. And I was like, oh, writing. Uh, I've got notes. I've got oh, cool. pages of notes. I'm just going to kick back and relax. This one. <laughs> and can, I'll just and chime like, in occasionally with my You guys quick. know I'm on TikTok. So I was there for all of like the Encanto trends and I was I was there for it. So and I, you know. Just like ideas of like, why does it Mirabel have a gift? And I like have my counter arguments. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a, I have I have my own thoughts about that too, and uh, that's definitely going to be a discussion point. Same for sure. The pin pin in that one too. Yes, her, her gift pin again, in that one too. Uh, ben, do yes. you have a, what's your personal experience with my this film? My personal experience is one that uh, her gift is being a vigilante, uh, but two. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> So uh, my personal history with this was uh, I remember seeing the trailers uh, and not being like really swayed one way or the other. I was I was just kind of like, eh, whatever. I, this is, looks like more more Disney fluff or whatever. Uh, and then uh, I uh, my friend John uh, was like, hey, you want to come over and watch Encanto with us? We're gonna have a movie night. So went over and watched it. Cried my eyes out. Was moved like deeply by this film and i was like holy this is this is really good um and uh i actually uh watched it a second time with my family uh and then i watched it a third time today and i cried again so uh Mm -hmm. this is this is uh this is one of my one of my most recent favorites uh from Mm -hmm. from disney and i i'm just really pleased with with the the film in general so I'm, i'm excited to talk about it yeah Okay, I think this is the point we can now discuss the film. So we can talk about Bruno. (laughs) No, no, we still won't talk about him. (laughs) Ah. Okay, so... (laughs) But, but... But it's it's Luigi, you guys. It's John Leguizamo. (laughs) Wait, wait, you mean Luigi Mario? (laughs) No, no, you see, there's Mario Mario and there's Luigi Mario. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, what's your name, Luigi Luigi? No, Luigi Mario. No, Luigi Mario. So I, I'm not gonna lie. When I, how I figured uh, out that um, most of the cast was of Colombian descent was <laughs> so when I heard John Leguizamo was gonna play Bruno, I was like, "That's kind of disappointing. Why are they bringing in this Italian American guy?" <laughs> oh my god! 
<laughs> because my, the one thing I know him from is, unfortunately, the Super Mario, Mario Brothers. You mean so the, I looked very up. fortunately, the ultimate cyberpunk film. So then I looked it up, <laughs> and I'm like, good. oh, no. Not only is he, he's definitely Colombian-American and was born in Colombia. And I'm like, well, what about the rest of the cast? And I'm going through, and I'm like, oh, wow. Dang, they, they really put the effort in. Well, I'm sure they've been criticized so many times before. They were like, we are not going to screw this one up. No, they really put the effort into this. I Like, I am, like, they finally did it right. Like, wow. I mean, is it perfect? Perfect? No. But it's, this is what I think. Uh, it's been a long, steady buildup of 60 films to get to this point <laughs> where you're actually casting, you know, people of <laughs> correct descent and ethnicity in these roles. Like, come on. Okay. I have, okay, this movie isn't perfect, but it's near perfect. All it's missing is like Dolores needed her own number and yes. like I needed more Camilo. And aside from that, I, I think it's like near perfect movie for me. So yeah. Well uh, let's let's talk about the family, why don't we? Yeah. Since we're here. Uh so of course it's we have a, it's a time for a round kid a uh, ground Grand kid roundup. Round Grand kid, kid roundup. <laughs> um, so we got Mirabelle, who is voiced by Stephanie Beatrice, who I was excited about. I and love her so much. I do too. Okay, so I didn't know um, much about her before this movie, but I I totally love her now. So uh, she was in she's Rosa in Brooklyn Nine Nine, but uh-huh. also one cool thing she's also bisexual, which as someone who is pansexual and to see, like, this, like, amazing actress who is, you know, also, like, is, like, full of, like, oh, yeah, I'm queer, and then plays a queer character. It's like, ah, yes. Um, also, funny enough, she's actually, uh, has, is pretty blind. Well, okay, she has bad eyesight and has an astigmatism and has to wear glasses. Mm-hmm. And as a, but she can't wear contacts, so most of the time she can barely see while she's acting. Mm-hmm. So, which is kind of cute because she plays a character who has glasses. So, so here's a question: Since we're as we make our way through the family, how old is Mirabelle? Okay, I because ha- you have the ages of I, all the characters. I do. Well, the grandkids. Yes. So um, we <laughs> let's let's start with uh, we have um, Abuela who is 75. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. She uh, looks great for 75. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her children are 50 years old, so she had triplets. Uh, so she was 25 when she had the kids then? Yes, okay. she was. Yeah, because uh, one thing that, that you told me about, we established that the twins, or the, the triplets had been, like, literally it was the day they were born that they're forced to flee from their village and... Uh, everything goes wrong, and the they, they miracle were, happens. They were originally like at one point in the story, she was going to birth them at the river. Like after, like that when yes. her husband got like killed, she was going to like birth them out of in like in absolute tragedy. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad they did. They they pulled back on that <laughs> very very harsh angle a little bit because yeah, well, it's already tragic enough as is. Yeah. So the uh, so the beginning where. Uh, these, uh, she and her husband uh, had to flee their home. This is based on real life events that did occur, um, from 1899 to 1902, uh, in Colombia. And so, so just to give an idea of when this time period is set, uh, Encanto is set in the 1950s, mm. early oh, 1950s. It's the 50s. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I was, well, I would explain I was... how, 
That would explain how um, Bruno knows about telenovelas. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> there is televisions. Yeah, because I was going to say, I was going to guess like the 30s, maybe the 40s at the latest because they were using record players and those really old like cameras. Yeah. Well, so, they're, they're also, I mean, one thing too is they're, they're isolated in that valley. Like, yeah, they're, they're, they're in a rural very... area, so like certain technologies would come. So wait, did Bruno spend like a couple years exploring? Is that where he learned about telenovelas? <laughs> well, I, well, Bruno can see the future. I mean, don't forget, oh. he could probably saw telenovelas. Yeah, 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 yeah that makes sense. Like, oh, could, you, could you imagine that Bruno just uses his vision powers just to watch telenovelas? <laughs> <laughs> Unlimited so power, and all I want to do is watch television from the future. <laughs> Another thing, too, about Latin American countries is the fact there is this, um, a lot of Latin American countries tend to be underdeveloped or a bit behind mm-hmm. because, I mean. Yeah. 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 You're talking about uh, techn- uh, technologically? There are, there are urban areas that have access to more modern technologies, and then there are a lot of rural areas where they don't have, like, a streamlined way of getting, say, the television or the newest camera or, like, yeah. right, you know. And they don't need it either. Yeah. They're happy, they're content, they're living, you know, their best lives in this place, at least as much as they can. And, you know, the people who were originally refugees, you know, escaping with the family are now living un- in this this pretty pastoral life under their, um, their care and protection. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty ideal, um, set up if you think about it yeah. like a, honestly the, uh, i would i look at the society and this this community i'm like this is a a healthy vibrant healthy you know, health okay healthy i mean in th- from the outside i mean i mean the whole point of the movie is that you get into the nitty-gritty and you start to see all the pressure and the family you drama see, uh, and all, all the, the cracks you see the cracks which you know uh their family was built on a foundation of trauma Okay. Yeah, well, yes, exactly. There's a lot of... There, gosh, there's so many good themes in this. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, the triplets are uh, 50 years old. Um, mm. And uh, actually, it is explained that um, Felix, who is supposed to be a little bit older than the triplets, I think he's like 51, 52, but mm. uh, Julieta's husband, uh, Augustine, is actually a couple years younger. Oh. So she married a little younger. That's nice. Um, and then the grandchildren. So the eldest is uh, uh, Isabella, who is 21. Dolores is a few months younger, also 21. But that's why Isabella is kind of treated as like the golden child, because she's the first. She was grand- the first grandkid. Exactly. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Louisa is 19, so she's the middle child. And boy, that, yep, <laughs> that makes so much more sense. Uh uh, Camilo is 15. Uh, he's only a few months older than, uh, Mirabelle. He has, he, it's funny cause he more than, almost more than Mirabelle, he's got big teenager energy. Yes, he does. Yeah. And then Antonio is five. Actually, all of the kids receive their gifts at five years old. Okay. That's actually good to know. I was wondering what the sort of the age bracket was for them. I wasn't sure exactly how Antonio was. I assumed he was like maybe... Six or seven, but five five makes sense too. That child was was a fetus. He's so he's so young and tiny. <laughs> he has amazing hair, though. I will say because oh, I'm yeah. with you, I, I'm with you. Say I I wish the film had more Dolores 
I also wish the film had more Antonio. I I really love what that whole Peppa side of the family. I just want more of them. Uh, they were one like I love Peppa for some reason. Just appearance wise, reminded me a lot of one of my aunts. Um, also. Yeah, she just reminded me a lot of my aunt. And then, like, Felix is such a wonderful husband because there's, like, all these little touches of, like, where he's, like, taught his kids to, like, just, like, be really good to, like, the women in the family where, like, Camilo is bringing tea to his mom to calm him down Mm. or, like, Antonio telling his animals to warm Abuela's seat, like... And then, like, Felix even gives him this, like, subtle thumbs up. And I'm like, this man is a wonderful man. Yeah. He's also he's got gem. some of my... He's, he just seems so jovial. Well, like, even like, in He's the got song... some of my favorite expressions in the film. Like, he's, yeah. just, like, <laughs> his, he's just amazingly expressive and just, like, he's just so funny and interesting and lovable. I love that guy. Well, another and a really good dancer. Yes! Yeah. Oh, my God. The, when when they, they start getting into the Bruno song and they start doing a, a is it like a, like a salsa together? And like, and it, just the hip movement is amazing. I think another thing too is uh, when, uh, as soon as uh, Pepa tells him, "Are you telling the story or am I?" and the first thing he says, "Sorry, me vida, go on." <laughs> like, <laughs> like so polite. Like, sorry, that's didn't mean to interrupt. Ah. <laughs> uh. Good yeah. guy Felix. No, Felix. No. Good guy Felix. Good guy Felix. I'm is so a great I'm so glad but... people appreciate this character because I was like, I, I I didn't hear many people online talk about him or whatever, and I was like, I really this guy's my favorite. I love this guy. <laughs> I, I also so um I also appreciate Augustine as a dad too. Okay, first mm-hmm. of all, I need to bring this up because I was surprised. Uh, so Augustine is voiced by Wilmer Valderrama, mm-hmm. and. For those who don't know, he was Fez from that '70s show. Oh, yeah, that no was, way. Yeah, that was a weird thing for me. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Fez? That's you? What are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while, bro. No, um, <laughs> Where you been? One of the things I do like about Augustine is that he defends his daughter. He looks, mm-hmm. yeah, he takes like actually looks after her, which is so nice to see because I feel like a. Sometimes a lot of these films growing up for us was like the dads were very absent mm-hmm. or were like, oh, I just drink beer or I just go to work. And it, it was always that viewpoint that it's like, oh, it's the mom's job to watch the kids. And for both Wait, these... which, which which Disney character was drinking beer? <laughs> well, I'm not thinking just Disney, just like. Oh, OK, OK. Father I was just thinking. Of, I general. was just thinking of like Ariel's dad. Like, <laughs> give me another yeah, gig. Yeah, he's just drinking uh, bubbles of it out of a conch or something. Well, but even then, like uh, Ariel's father was like very angry at um, Ariel, and just was it was like it was my way of the highway. Both these dads are so caring, and but they're not like they're not the type of people that that are like, no, you have to do things my way. It's more like, no, I'm here to help you. They're supportive. Yeah. Yes. And they're trusting, especially uh, Augustine, because he, like, you know, when he, you know, obviously we're jumping around here a little bit, but when, like, he finds out about the vision, he's very, very quick to, like, try and help his daughter keep her secret. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is immediately, of course, foiled by Dolores, but, you know. Who can hear everything. I find that, so this is, this is something that I find kind of funny. Uh, at the time when I first saw it, I'm like, wait, wait, hold up. Um, so the Bruno has been hiding in the walls for the past mm-hmm. 10 years, uh, of their house. And 
Dolores has known because she can hear him. Uh, yes. But, which, so there, I think it, there was, like, a tweet that went out, and I, I thought this was funny, that she says, where it said, um, uh, Dolores will uh, reveal a se- reveal Mirabelle's secret at the drop of a hat, but it, um, but Bruno hiding behind the walls, mm, that's his biz. <laughs> well, I, I heard uh, a tweet or something that I saw was that uh, she didn't reveal a secret because she wanted to hear how the telenovelas were playing out. That, oh, yeah. I've heard that, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, yeah, I just found that kind of funny. I'm like, wait, she could keep Bruno's secret this whole time, but as soon as she hears about Mirabelle, well, she... I think she's she. I think she's actually phenomenal at keeping secrets because you know she's hearing gossip from the whole town. Yeah, that's true. at all times. And like, okay, I, one of the things I love about her character so much is those little tiny like squeaks that she'll make. Mm-hmm. Like when she learns like Mirabelle's secret, she does it. She makes a little like, and then like scurries away. And so, but she's always doing that. And I think she that's like. In my head canon, it's like a little quirk of hers that she's developed. Every time she like hears some like really juicy town gossip, mm-hmm. that's her response because she can't be like dramatically like, oh my god, every time she he- overhears something. Yeah. So I don't I, know. I, I love think, her character. I think it's the fact <laughs> that Mirabelle's first response is she's going to tell everybody. I'm like, is she is she known to do this? I <laughs> kind of. But well, I, this is. One I of those think cases. she knows. Yeah. Like which ones like she's got to keep under wraps and which ones are like. Because if obviously something's affecting the magic, like, this is going to come to the table. Like, yeah. it needs to be on the table. Everyone needs to know. Yeah. Right. And keep in mind, everybody is living, and this is especially true, everybody's kind of living in, not fear, but in um, tension, low-key tension with uh, Abuela, because they don't mm-hmm. want to, they want to continue to prove themselves. They're important. They have a role in the family. And if, you know, things go wrong, you know. They like they they don't. It's not like she immediately goes and tells Abuela. No, she no, starts she whispering does. down the table to everybody. Yeah. So they all kind of start picking it up. Like, what do we do first? We can't. Like it. It's so fascinating. And and I we I, you know we get into the character dynamic there about the the generational trauma there too eventually. But uh, yeah. I, but like I I want to say like I definitely I I love I agree with the statement that um, Pippa's side of the family is. is there, but they're kind of underutilized in the yeah. film. Yeah. I, I, another thing, too, is... So there is an established relationship between Antonio and Mirabelle that's so sweet and so mm-hmm. loving. And I mm-hmm. wanted more of that. And I don't... The problem is I can't think of a way to add more of that. <laughs> but because, like, the... But it would... I just wanted to see more of it. It's more like a personal thing. Like, oh, it's so well-developed. It's so sweet. Because uh, uh, they actually call him Tonito, if I recall. Yeah. That's his nickname. Yeah. Uh, which is adorable. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything about that kid's adorable. Well, the, yes. there's a, the, so one of the interesting things David and I picked up was, um, so there's that point where he uh, says, oh, Bruno can use my room to have his vision. Mm. And there's a point where he's kind of just chilling on the Jaguar and I'm, and he's wearing like something his dad would wear. And I'm like, that kid's going to end up being really cool, isn't he? Yeah. He's going to be so suave. Cause like when they're celebrating in his room after he got his power, he's like dancing with his dad and his moves are so good already. Yeah. <laughs> like Camilo too, when they're in, uh, during the, we don't talk about Bruno song. Like, Oh, that's my favorite part. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, no. It just makes me it, it, it all all of that makes me feel feel so much more bad for Mirabelle. Because <laughs> uh, like this kid's got everything and she got nothing. <laughs> but but I, what I love is what I love about it is that he he is 
you know, he's he's still incredible. Like the parts where points where he does care, he clearly still cares about his cousin. Like he's not yeah. gonna. She she well, was she, there for him, and so he's gonna yeah. be there for her too. And yeah, I will well, it say, like, like it it is really important that we see that for Mirabelle's character too, that relationship that he has, because it shows that she is you know nurturing and caring, and and uh, you know the the one of the biggest strengths she has is she is intuitive, and she's trying to like see people for who they really are, and not just because of their gifts. So, so I have a. Uh... The theory that I've heard, and I think this is probably, I I think this is the most correct theory, in in, in my opinion, maybe you guys might not agree, but there's a lot of question like, why why didn't Mirabelle get a gift? And there's, people have pointed out, well, Abuela doesn't have a gift. And Mm. both she and Mirabelle have the um, butterflies. Her gift is party planning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry. They 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 um they both have the butterfly symbol that mm-hmm. uh and it's the idea that actually Mirabelle is going to eventually be the new head of the household yeah the next matriarch similar to how Abuela is the mat- current matriarch of the ma- uh, Madrigal family mm-hmm. and I think that I I think that I think that's the most correct one yeah that's I think that was for the first time I watched it I was still like. But wait, I still don't get how the, the, the logic... Um, I don't understand how the logic of the magic works because everybody else got a door and they never gave a good reason why Mirabelle didn't get it, even at the end. But then I'm watching it this time, I'm like, no, no, this this makes sense. She doesn't... It's it's not... The whole message is about, it's not about people being defined by their gifts or what they can do. It's about who they are. Yes. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, that's that's one of the important messages too. And, and, what, and again, what Mirabelle is good at is you know, getting to the heart of the matter, kind of. Like, she's trying her best and to get there, and she doesn't need a gift or a superpower to do that. Mm-hmm. She's just, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, her gift is also sewing and musical ability and dance. She's and like indestructible good at a glasses. Lot yeah, and indestructible <laughs> glasses. She's, she's, she's like, well, so good at a lot of things. It's, she carries a lot of pride for her family. Mm-hmm. And, like, a lot of love for, like, each individual member. And I, that's... It, it just carries out so well. Because, like, yeah, she has a relationship with Antonio. She, like, was able... In some sense, I, I feel like she does have a gift. Like, she had her gift. It just didn't manifest the way everyone else's did. That, yes, she's going to inherit uh, her grandmother's role. But, mm-hmm. like... You notice, like, she's the only one that, like, speaks directly to Casita? Mm-hmm. Yeah! Actually, like, I'm trying to think of any other time that someone has... Other than Abuela, because Abuela did talk to Casita. Yeah. Yeah, to, to yeah I think only she in. and Abuela are the ones that talk to Casita. And, like, I think Mirabelle has this, like, me, this might be me reading into it a little bit more, but, like, she can see into her family members' hearts. Like, where there's a, there's a sequence with uh, with Isabella in her room, and her room's all, like, fantastical and stuff, but, like, then it gets, like, really kind of over the top, where I think we're not just inside Isabella's room, but, like, inside Isabella's, like, heart. Mm-hmm. And same with, like, Luisa's song, because we definitely get, like, all this, like, imagery that's, like, obviously they're not really suddenly in front of Cerberus, and she's not really juggling, <laughs> the, you know, the whole yeah, time. Yeah. I think she was, you know, inside Luisa's heart at that point. And then same when... We are flashing back to when we lose uh, uh, Grandpa Pedro, and like, cause you see the memory, but we meet a Bell is like standing there, like seeing it for herself, and like, right. I don't know, I, 
she's like you know she sees she sees inside them and then like just the whole imagery at the end where she's she opens the door to the whole house and she's like in the center of the door now because that's that's her gift it's her family mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful message honestly. And, <laughs> and it's so I, I almost, actually i almost and... saw uh, I, I I talked to some friends that when when we watched the movie for the first time and almost felt like she was like the spirit of the house, mm-hmm. like she the when when she puts the the door uh, the doorknob on the place at the end like that's when it comes back to life. Um, but that that that's like a I, I like your interpretation the best. Another <laughs> uh, another um, but that's how you can also tell that the music is such a big part because you mentioned like um. She takes pride in her family. That's shown basically throughout the first song about when she talks about the um, Madrigal family and introduces each one. You can tell she's very proud of her family mm-hmm. and loves talking about them. Like, even though she doesn't have a gift herself, she clearly loves her family and is very, ha- like, proud to be a part of that. Yeah. And a little bit jealous, but so would I. Um, I mean, I mean that's... That's a... a so... One of the things that's very relatable, I think, to anyone in this film is all of the uh, Madrigal family has, like, roles that they take on that I think I think a lot of people in one way can relate to. I mean, okay, so one of the, one of the songs uh, I think a lot of people really liked outside of We Don't Talk About Bruno is uh, uh, Service Pressure. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's definitely, I would say one of my favorite songs there's but first of all there's not a bad song in this i, I agree like mm-hmm. da- i dave and i were trying to figure out is there any songs that are unlikable i'm like well not really no like i'm like there's uh, is there some that i like more than others yes but there's none that i hate yeah uh, there's no there's no i'm james my name <laughs> is james <laughs> There's Let, a, there's no song that you would like skip if you're like listening to the soundtrack. Yes. There's no a guy like you hidden among the ama- other amazing songs of the soundtrack. So yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. So with the surface pressure, boy, because I I mean I'm an older sibling and I and apparently a lot of older siblings relate to that song. Mm-hmm. Especially in Hispanic families, yeah. Like it, I saw so many videos on TikTok of just people relating to that song. Mm. Yeah, it's because yeah, there's um, it's that like pressure to basically be perfect and carry a lot. I, I it, it and, but I also know that a lot of people can probably relate to like Mirabelle as like the youngest sibling, mm. um, uh, Isabel with uh this like perfection. The expectation of of just being perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was it was nice because it felt like just about every character had a layer of depth to them. Mm-hmm. Where in previous films we would get kind of you know surface level stuff, and it played well to the story, uh, but it didn't give all of the characters a a really interesting sort of below the surface sort of thing. And this really. Every the, I don't think anybody in this in this family is is perfect uh, perfect or terrible in any way. Like they're all they're all like deep characters with interesting identities. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, interesting. You, you know, bring out Isabella. I want to you know, touch on that real quick. I think it's important to note that that she was almost part of like this like 
sort of plan to make the dynasty continue. Yeah. She was, she was not going to be marrying for, for love. She was marrying, to, she was, she's, it's, it's kind of unsaid, but you know, there's that part where it's like, he wants five kids and she, there's that look on her face like, ah, uh, you know. And that's the, that's and the like, first, that's the first that, time we see her uh, sprout flowers in a way that was unintended because. Yeah. Uh, you st- uh, if you see, like the abuela picks out the white flower from her hair when the rest of them are pink. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. It was a really I noticed it this time. I'm like, I love the fact that this is you know she's sort of being set up to be the new, the new, the next one to carry the generation forward. At first, it almost is like a dynasty vibe too. So, and mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me that we do kind of get that bit where like you see the veneer of her breakdown and see that no this is the pressure that's being put on her as the eldest of the grandchildren and the one that is quote-unquote perfect well another thing too um this actually just uh funny enough i just watched this video um this this recently has just popped up on youtube where someone pointed out like hey does anyone notice that isabel looks a lot like abuela when she's younger Mm. like they have right yeah so abuela that's probably another reason not only is she the eldest but she looks so much like abuela that i think abuela is expecting her to be the 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 next the next head of the family yes no, because she's also born born first, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you? I told you guys because we get a lot of like like small hints of like where she is, like and we'll get like little hints to that reveal of like oh she didn't want to marry him, she was doing it for the family. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I told you guys to to listen to her at the end of the we don't talk about Bruno. Did you catch it? No, because we we tried. We like went back two, three, four times. She kept getting lost, or we kept losing her voice in among the others. We tried to listen, but it was hard. so like if you if you listen to her. Her, she's, uh, so everyone's repeating their lines that they were singing earlier in this song. Right. Hers actually changes to, she just starts repeating, I'm fine, I'm fine. Mm. Oh, really? Oh. oh my gosh. And it's like that first, cause earlier she's, she's singing like, oh, I, I got a, he predicted a, a perfect future for me, but then that's like the first, like, it's, it's like hit, you can't make, I've seen it too many times and I listen to that song a lot. <laughs> um. But yeah, it's it's our first glimpse of like okay, she's everything's not as perfect as as it seems. Yeah. Yeah. It jeez. All these characters are freaking layered. Yeah. That it's so great. Another cool thing too is and this is intentional. Uh so two things. Color is very important and they use color as a way to differentiate the family members. So uh Julieta's family, so uh Mirabella's sisters and all all that they wear uh, cooler colors, mm-hmm. where Peppa's family all wears brighter colors. I'm noticing like mm-hmm. like yellows and oranges with them. That's intentional. Yeah. It's a way to help differentiate the two families, so that to keep track of them because it is an extended family. There's a lot of people who are main characters that we're trying to follow. So yeah. Uh, but another thing too is if you look at their clothes, all of them have like symbols that mm-hmm. represent like their abilities or who they are as people. So for example, uh, um, Camilo. Has um, chameleons, uh-huh. iguanas, iguanas. Uh, I thought it was chameleons because of the. Sh- it might be chameleons because it, it's chameleons that change color, correct? Yeah. Or is it iguanas? Yes. It's no, it's, no, it's, no, chameleons. it's chameleons. It's chameleons. It's chameleons. Yeah, okay. And his name that is- would make sense with his name. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say his name is Camilio. Like, 
<laughs> also, was... like, my favorite <laughs> part when they're, like, whispering the secret down the line and he, like, freaks out. He's, like, he suddenly has this, like, chameleon face where they're, like, looking different ways. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh. I also like when he turns into the baby head with the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. And, and the reason they chose that ability for him is because it's like he's 15. He's that teenager that's trying to find himself, figure out who he is. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, See, wow. I, I read that as like uh, uh, as sort of uh, he desires to be like a performer or like someone who's always trying to please sort of uh, well, thing. Well, another thing, Jared Bush li- called him the theater kid who is yeah. trying to figure oh, himself out. That See, makes there sense. You go. That makes sense. Is that why he got so popular on Tumblr? Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Uh, oh but uh, that that uh, that brings up an interesting thing uh, uh, in this movie is that I really I really dig uh, both the the expressions and the movement of the characters. Yeah, yeah. this so. is a good opportunity to talk about the animation because with the CG, I know we don't often talk about the animation as much for you two as we used to because you know back when we were first doing this podcast, and I'm thinking about this because this is our like p- like ultimate episode here. Yeah, our, but, our, our know, season finale. Our season finale is yeah. we're, we're thinking about, you know, how we go back to hand-drawn, and now we're in CG, and, you know, there's still a lot of effort. Because you think about comments that were made about how clunky it was to try and make things work like that and be fluid and flowing in a computer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. here you have, you know, especially in the opening song, I'm noticing this big time, Mirabel is going around singing the song, and her hair is going all over the place, and her her skirts are flowing beautifully, and it's just, this is... Like, every film that comes out makes the CG look better and better and better. And this is definitely no exception. I think this looks incredible. And mm-hmm. and the col- the fact that the colors pop and it's so vibrant really helps enhance that feel of the the fluidness and the flowingness of the animation. Like, I cannot... It's... it's it, The CG has finally gotten to the point for me, where it's not, like, distracting anymore as, like, an animation medium. Now it looks, it looks like it, it can be fluid. It does yes. look fluid. And it's it's really a, quite a feat yeah. of animation well, I, to see that. I, I also feel like that they're leaning more into the aspect of it being an animation, because I feel like a lot of the drive behind using CG was to make it more real, more uh, more lifelike. And mm-hmm. what's fun about animation is to do things that aren't possible in real life. And so this movie, I felt uh, uh, more than some of the others in the past, really leaned into that. They did some amazing tricks with the uh, the cinematography and lighting that I I don't think I've seen in other uh, Disney anif- animated features specifically. Yeah. Um, and just the the wonderful expressiveness of the characters through uh, and like you know this is through the animation through the the facial movements and the and, and like their their body movements uh just express so much uh mm-hmm. subtly yeah it's i think and I, again it's and, it, and it, they don't skimp what it does is it it it's it leans like i'm playing off that it leans into the the, the fluidness and almost the cartooniness of the animation in places but it brings out the details yes and it is so detailed like the even just the environments around them are so detailed. It's, it really serves to make the everything look and feel like uh, tactile, and it's mm-hmm. great because there's multiple things I want to talk about. Like one thing I want to talk about is Dolores, because um, I, I wish there was more development in her. But uh, so uh, I want to bring this there's up. There's just because... so much. It's it, it it would be so it. Because like we we got like a ton as it is if we if we tried to put in any more like we'd 
extend beyond what I think the themes of the story were, but I don't disagree. It would be wonderful to have that. I I, yeah. I am going to do one recommendation because for those who want more Dolores, there was a song that came out on YouTube. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there was a song that called uh, Turn It Down, um, actually uh, written by uh, her, the... She goes by Oreo, and <laughs> interestingly enough, I was already I was already familiar with her work because she worked with other people we worked with. Uh, they brought in uh, the actress who voiced uh, Dolores Adasa mm-hmm. uh, to actually sing this song, and she actually contributes to the lyrics of the song as well. And it is a great song that actually feels like it would be a part of the movie itself. It does give a little more insight into Dolores's head, so I would recommend check that out. It's called uh, "Turn It Down." Just cool. just Google "Turn It Down" in Kanto, and you'll find it, or "Turn It Down, Dolores," and you'll find it on YouTube. Did 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 you all watch the uh, the deleted scenes for the movie? No, I, I did not. I think I watched a couple, but maybe not all of them. Yeah, they 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 have about four on Disney Plus. I don't know if there's more on the DVD, but I I watched those today. Um, and there's some good stuff that they cut, like a. Normally, when I when I see deleted scenes, I'm just kind of like, all right, well, it, it was kind of good they cut that. Um, and when I was watching this, there was a couple of things where I was like, man, I, this is great. I mean, it would be a different movie with this in it, so it's fine that they cut it. But I would have loved this, particularly um, the the there's one uh, where they 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 change the way that you um, they they resolve the 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 thing with uh, Mira, Mirabella and Abuela where uh she actually goes uh into town like the town outside of oh, uh yeah. and it was it, it it was insanely moving cuz uh um and and keep in mind this is like with very basic uh just uh scribble drawings basically like you know how they how they storyboard these things um and so she 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 makes her way up the hill and just like the sight of a modern city because uh, uh, I think at that point uh, when they were making the movie it was going to be modern day uh, but they were like kind of isolated in their valley um, and so it was really strange to see uh, her like walk up the hill and see like this this big city and so she's going around showing uh, the photo of Mirabelle trying to uh, uh, trying to find her in this big city and then she sees these people walk by with with candles uh, and she's like, well, what's going on here? And uh, she follows them and there's this mural to uh, her uh, her late husband. And I, I imagine that in that version of the story, he was some sort of public figure or something like that. But it was it was interesting to see her reaction to uh, someone that she loved so much being honored that way. And that through that, she she realized what what the problem was and that that like kind of helped her connect with Mirabelle. Yeah, I can understand why it was deleted because of the extra circumstances. But yeah, I, th- I think the scene in itself where Abuela and Mirabel meet at the river is oh yeah, just powerful enough. Um, I mean, it, I I've literally cried every time I've watched it, so it's it turned out perfectly the the way it is. It just the the uh, I I like the the visual ideas that they presented in in the deleted version, but it just doesn't quite you know, jive with the, the, what they eventually ended up making. So, yeah. yeah, I, there is one thing and maybe someone can help explain this and not, okay. And I want, I want a better explanation than what people have been telling me. There is one flaw with this film that bothers me. Uh, so there's that part where Mirabel 
it's it's after the party and uh something falls and she hurts her hand and there's cracks all over the house mm-hmm. and then she tells abuela and they come out and they're all gone like completely mm-hmm. all gone and i'm like how no 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 how and then I had some, some, I tried to look at this stuff and someone explained, well, it is explained later that he's been trying to fill up the cracks in the walls. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I do not believe that for a second that Bruno is fixing the cracks that fixed all he's those cracks really in the walls. He's really fast. He's <laughs> gotten really good at it. it he's really good at spackling. Is. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> or you mean, uh, you mean Jorge and uh, yes. Jorge, sorry. Jorge <laughs> and I forget the other I one. Jorge, I think... you're the drywall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I could never do that. I'm too scared. Because, I mean, I, I know um, that later on it is shown that uh, Casita can fix herself. Uh-huh. But at the mm-hmm. same time, it she only started fixing herself when it was shown that, like, uh, after Isabella and Mirabel actually reconnected and it made it stronger. And, like, showing that the family was becoming stronger. Mm-hmm. There was none of that. So, and it, clearly the cracks just all appeared throughout the whole entire house. This wasn't just, like, a few. It was the entire house. How, that feels a little too much of a stretch for me. I think what that is, is, like, because we mentioned before that the cracks, we the, the cracks are, like, the little, literal cracks in the family. Mm-hmm. In, like, their relationship. Um, so I think what that was, was, we saw those cracks after Mirabelle was having this, this moment to herself of like how she, she wants to have a role in the family. Yeah. Um, so I, those cracks represent just, just how she, they're, the family being torn apart in this like way that they don't realize. Um, so I think that's what that was. That's why we suddenly see these cracks and then in like I, I, being alarmed. Okay. She's alarmed. Like, oh no, something's the magic's going to go. Suddenly she's not thinking about herself. She's thinking about her family. I got to go tell my family something's wrong with Casita. She's not thinking about it. She's, she's kind of like reforming that connection. That's maybe why the cracks go away. Cause now she's not feeling separated from her family. Now she's like, I have to go to my family. I have to, I have to warn them. But we see those cracks come back later during the proposal scene Mm -hmm. when like the, you know, oh shit, like everyone's whispering about the, um, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the The vision prediction, the vision. Thank you. Sorry. I shouldn't have snapped on the microphone. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Everyone's every, the, the cracks are forming, not in response to just meet a bell, but to like the whole family freaking out and panicking and especially to like Isabella uh who who doesn't want this proposal to happen and then we see the cracks again finally at the end when like everything comes down mm-hmm. uh when uh you know everything's fixed cuz Isabella and Mar- Mar- Mirabel hugged and I have things I want to say about that scene so we have to come back to it but like <laughs> then Abuela and Mirabel have this this fight and they they're like tearing apart at each other and there's a literal crack that goes right between them yeah. Like at their feet before the whole house starts coming down. I, I get the representation and but like the cracks remain even like later in the film. So it, You're it's talking more about the... why why did they disappear immediately after she yeah, sees them in that I, first I, time? Like I, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't mind it so much if it was just like there it, it, like it was a crack in like one wall and then they disappeared and like okay, Casita was able to fix this up because I But it was the whole house. Like I was See, just like Wow, that's 
I think I, that's the only thing that's a bit of a stretch for for me. My 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 reading of that though uh, uh, kind of builds off of uh, Sades uh, a little bit. Is that um, uh, one is that you can kind of look at it as uh, you know Mirabelle's character is, is is super empathetic and is able to kind of see into people's hearts and stuff. So uh, uh, when she cuts her hand on it, ah. she gets like a direct connection to the house and is able to see the the problems that lay ahead. Um, okay. And then the other thing, the, uh, the the other way that you could read it uh, is that I I feel like um, the house and they actually talk about this in one of the um, supplemental materials that I watched. The house is very reactive to the emotions of the family themselves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so uh, Mirabelle. Uh, you know, she cuts herself and, you know, sees like the cracks swarming and freaks out. And so like the house, you know, ultimately reflects that and is, is showing the, the, the problems underneath. Then when she she leaves for a second, talks to uh, Abuela and Abuela is all about kind of burying it, like keeping things uh, yeah. under the surface. So the house then can react to that and comes out and is like, oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Yeah. OK. Uh, Okay, so that's, those are, the, those, are it, those are my readings of it. Okay, and, I, and especially considering that we know, based on this idea that Mirabel is going to eventually be the head of the family, it's almost uh-huh. like this, like reflecting. It's almost like a power struggle in this, in an interesting way. Like, like mm. not not a physical one or even like an intentional one, but like the exertion of who is the exertion of like what each can do and what their their moods and their relationship has on. Casita. I'll say just to add on to what David said. Uh, I think Abuela and Ma- Mirabel have the strongest connections to the house itself. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. The only two people we see talk with Casita is Mirabel and Abuela. Mm-hmm. From what I, from what mm-hmm. we've gathered. Well, also based off of uh, uh, what what David just said, it just brings up an interesting thought. Is I I wonder if uh, Abuela is the hardest on Mirabel because she she like. Be, maybe taking on that role and she she doesn't like that you know like that that's a really interesting dynamic to their relationship that i hadn't thought about now i will i will argue i don't think abuela knows that mirabella is going to take on that role someday she's setting up for isabella to take on that role because here's the thing in in, in a weaker mo- movie uh abuela would be kind of the villain you know yes mm-hmm. there's no mm-hmm. villain in this movie and even abuela you understand. The villain is God. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no. Even Abuela, you understand why she flawed as her, you know, as her methods of it are. Most like everything, everybody else in the family, she's dealing with trauma and pressure and all this other stuff. She is yeah. terrified of losing her home again. Terrified of losing the magic that has kept them safe this whole time. Terrified of losing her family, like she, you know, lost her husband. So mm-hmm. she is going to be harder on people. And anything that does deviate from the norm, that, that what she has established because of the miracle, is going to throw her off. So she doesn't really know what to make of Mirabel and the reason that she, you know, doesn't have this. So, of course, when the conflicts come up, she's going to, you know, point fingers here. And what's great about the reconciliation at the end is that for the first time, I mean, even in, in the first song that Mirabel, like, sings in the thing, she looks at directly at Abuela and says, open your eyes, open your eyes. And it's only at that point later in the movie that she's like, my, like, she basically says, like, like, I see you. My eyes have been opened. I, like, understand now. But funny enough, the first line in the movie is, uh, abre los ojos, mm-hmm. which is Abuela telling, uh, when Abuela tells Mirabel to open her eyes. Yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. I think God. it's not, 
<laughs> I think it's uh, it's not just Abuela who opens her eyes at the end. It's both of them, like, finally seeing yes. each That's, other. Actually, yeah, because like, they have it. So, I've noticed something about this conversation so far, and I'm going to push us towards uh, it. But I want to talk about Mirabelle really quick with, with Abuela. And just because yes. the way she's treating Mirabelle is almost like she's a threat to the rest of the family. Because, like, yes. she's setting up yes. like, these decorations, like, and she's like, why don't you let everyone else who has gifts take care of things and, and that's kind of be there? Um, which is kind of what they were doing to... We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about Bruno, because I want to talk about Bruno. Because um, <laughs> And then I love this so much um, because it is it is something that you see in... Like I can, I can mostly just speak for like his family, like Hispanic dynamics, like family, Hispanic family dynamics, in that you have that black sheep, and mm. they get you know pushed to the side, you know, or if things start to go wrong, they're kind of blamed for it, you know. She's not like the rest of the family, so she's like being put aside, you know. They they neglect to include her in the form in the family portrait, um, mm-hmm. and like all of that was happening to Bruno. Because his yeah. gifts, it, it wasn't the gift, you know, that they wanted. Yeah, well, I love I love how they, they keep misinterpreting it where, you know, everyone sees his, him uh, telling them about their future as like, he did this to me. And it's like, he was literally only telling you what was going to happen anyway. <laughs> well, the, here's, the, here's the funny part, because um, one, one of the things that I thought was like, oh, uh he couldn't help it or like, or like he he would just randomly have these visions no he actually has to sit down and make sure to think and think about these visions mm-hmm. and actually has to think about the people so, which most likely means these people came up to him and said tell me my future yeah so he was just telling them what he basically they said oh what's my future and he told them and they didn't like the answer yeah and decided I to blame like, him for so Bruno reads like very socially awkward, and yeah. I feel like for Bruno, like he was just in in town, you know, picking up groceries or something, and someone, and he just made a comp. Uh, 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 he saw the dude eating too much, uh, you know, and he's like, "You're gonna get fat," and he's just like, "Oh no, he's giving me a vision. I'm gonna get fat." Or he sees a lady with his goldfish. He's like, "Oh, your goldfish doesn't look well. I think it's gonna die." And she's like, "Oh no, my fish is gonna die." Like I just feel like he, like he didn't even actually even give those visions. People were just misinterpreting what he said. He's so socially awkward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He and he is. God, I love Bruno so much. I want to. Yeah. I, I love can him say so too, much. This, this is interesting because we were talking about the how everybody, each branch of the family, kind of has their own like you know, symbol and their own kind of color motif. Bruno's mm. is green. Yeah. Just very green. Green. And here's the thing. And sand. And sand. <laughs> it's not that's a color. Motif. It's just a, and, and rats. Just a thing that's there. Rats. <laughs> rats. 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 But important. Whenever anything involving his power and like, uh, you know, the, his, his power and, and the magic and the clothes he wears, it's all got that green thing. And, Remember, in past Disney movies, a lot of times, villain magic. <gasps> That's right. Green. Who's yeah. treated as the villain, the scapegoat, for a lot yeah. of this movie by the family who misunderstands Bruno. him? Bruno. Bruno. Mm-hmm. You know what's also interesting? Some, I think I, this was something that someone pointed out on TikTok. 
because I am definitely on Disney TikTok, um, especially <laughs> Disney Park TikTok. But someone pointed out how Gru- uh, Bruno's poncho, like his his that he wears, is the go away green color that Disney uses in the park. If you guys know oh. what I mean by that, like when they uh-huh. put up the the walls and they kind of don't want you to look at the construction, it's always this like color oh. of green that yeah. your eye just kind of it passes over. Mm. So I don't know. I just I just wanted to throw that in there because you guys know I'm obsessed with the parks. And, yeah, so, yeah, well, I mean, so are no, that's we, a good obviously. detail. And he was that character where he was like, you know, there's like one poster I think where you he's hiding in the background. Hmm. Um, Oh. Can I can I just and, say? Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Please finish. F- finish your thought. Well, I just wanted to also throw in because I caught this. I've seen the movie six times, and I only caught it on the last time. Um, like we know that Dolores knew Bruno was there the whole time. Yes. Because like when Mirabelle is asking, like, "Hey, is anyone worried about the magic?" and she's like, "No, just you and the rats whispering in the walls." She's talking about Bruno. Yeah. Uh-huh. And there's also um, a line at the very end of the movie. Uh, that I noticed this time when they're all like when they're all singing and Bruno uh, 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 like has his little bit and his reference to Frozen. Like I think right after that, <laughs> Dolores is like, "I knew it was there the whole time." Like she just like yeah, she does that say out. that. Yeah, <laughs> but like when uh, when Dolores is singing about Bruno, he's mm. in the background. Yes, he is around. I didn't catch that until this last showing. Uh-huh. I was like, "How did I miss that?" Oh, and so I, cool. I, 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 I noticed it the, uh, the second time too. Like David, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, there he is!" I just saw him. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, well, but okay. like, okay. one more thing about Bruno. Okay, I have this theory that the rooms, their rooms, like reflect. Maybe not their room. Okay, maybe their rooms reflect like how they certain things about them. Obviously, mm-hmm. but like I feel like that Bruno's room with the tower and all the stairs was kind of like a reflection of just how away like how far away he is from his family mm. emotionally just like connection wise mm-hmm. yeah. like but. it wasn't always a sandy hellscape oh i'm yeah gonna, can I, i'm gonna give a cool fact this is just a fun cool fact so bruno's room is actually based off the salt cathedral i am going to butcher this it's a zippa kira which is a catholic church built more than 600 feet 650 feet underground within the tunnels of a salt mine whoa yeah that's rad. That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, the the image uh, of his, of his room looks a lot like that cathedral. That's what, that's intense. One one other thing I just want to bring up about Bruno, particularly in the the, the scene where where we first like actually meet him, how freaking heartbreaking is it to see like he looks through that crack in the wall at the table and he's drawn his own plate. <laughs> oh no, that, <laughs> that just always poor hurts. Man. Yeah. For ten years. For ten oh, years. Oh yeah, that crap <laughs> ten years. His uh, I mean, most of his most of his nie- nieces and nephews barely remember him, and I don't think he's ever actually met Antonio. No, he never did. No, probably not. Which is amazing. Like like and Mirabel is clearly like she doesn't really remember him that well because she was only five when he disappeared. Actually, yeah. that's that's actually why the joke of um, uh, Camilo singing uh, uh, seven so- foot frame, frame rats because yeah. he was five. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he's not really that tall because, like, if you see him standing next to Mirabelle, Mirabelle's like what, like five two, and I'm like, whoa, Bruno's pretty short, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, when you're five years old, and uh huh, it makes sense. <laughs> oh man, um. Well, that, that it just plays into the distortion of the view that everyone has of him. Uh huh. It's it's so good, and it, it, yeah. it, I love the instant sort oh. of 
kinship that that creates between he and Mirabel because they're both at this point they're both the black sheep of the family yeah you know what I really love about we don't talk about Bruno the song yeah Mm -hmm. is that the song is we don't talk about Bruno but everybody be talking about Uh (laughs) that's what you do in your family you're it's always like oh you know in secret or under like hushed conversation or that family gathering, like you're kind of off to the side while everyone else is distracted. You're always talking about the black sheep of your family, like, oh, did you hear that they did this? Or like, they got blamed for this and whatnot. Uh-huh. Everybody, even in town, we're talking about about, about Bruno. Yeah. yeah, well, families yeah. love that hot gossip. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, I have, I've heard uh, it's especially true in Latin American families. Cause, like... Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. The amount of shade that my, my mom and my aunts, like, like between themselves about themselves just Mm. like it's the one the two talking about the other one like (laughs) (laughs) and i I bet it's even so i mean if people know that i have family that lives in a small town they're in a small town like oh you can imagine how much worse (laughs) yep Oh goodness! We gotta listen when when tv shows aren't doing it for you you gotta start it in your own town uh they didn't even have TV shows in in the community there. They just have uh, only Dolores gets to enjoy uh, the rat telenovelas. <laughs> yeah, the, just a small little fact. Just because I, I, it's something that I find kind of exciting. Okay, okay. So, because uh, so you know how um, I, I don't know, know if you guys remember this, but like when Louisa's trying to like fix everything, and someone said, "There's someone who yells like Louisa, can you fix the river?" And she's like, "On it." So the oh. The person yeah, was like reroute the river or something. I was like, damn. Yeah. So the person who's who yells that uh, is Sarah Robles, and she's the voice of Luce from Owl House. Oh. Uh, yes. So I'm I'm saying this because I've been watching. We just finished watching this la- second season of Owl House, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. So I was very easy, excited about Owl that. House is do a you, very good do you, show. Do you know who the voice of the guy is who's who, ta- who asks? Her <laughs> to find the donkeys that got loose because that guy like like he cracks me up. <laughs> Can you get the donkeys? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. And then I gotta do, of course, a shout out to Alan Tudyk. Who? Yeah. Alan yeah. Tudyk continues to be the good luck charm of Disney. So he is brought in to do the voice of the toucan. <laughs> oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. He's the so fun- he he's there. He's there. John Ratzenberger. Then yes. Uh, but here's the funny part. Uh, he did his, because he's Alan Tudyk, he did his research on how toucan sound, and he did it so thoroughly that when um, he went to go do the voices, they're like, oh yeah, here's a voice, here's like the sounds of toucans. He's like, no, that's not. That's not the sound of toucans. That's just random birds. Whoa. <laughs> so yeah. he what an actually, actor. So yeah, like the voice, the noises he's making act, are actual like, what a toucan the closest to what a toucan sounds like yes <laughs> how much how much is he getting paid to make bird noises enough that I he keeps coming lot. back i hope yeah <laughs> but i mean the good news is that man will always always have a job <laughs> as long as they continue using him as his good luck charm yeah okay. well he's Bef- he's a he's a latter day frank welker <laughs> <laughs> It's true. So I, I just needed to give a little shout out there. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I got I got something I gotta say before we wrap up too. Please okay. Because there's like one there's this one thing that I've like like that just like bothers me. There's this scene that I think should be just tweaked a little bit. Um, when they're 
singing Isabella's song, like, what else can I do? Uh, there's this, uh, I feel like that part would have been so much stronger in just the theming of, like, everyone recognizing, like, Mirabelle as, like, being the new, you know, matriarch of the family of just, like, oh, she, she, under- she you know, she sees everyone. Yeah. Where... There's a line in the song that Mirabelle sings that was, uh, Hey, everybody make way. Uh, and I feel like every, cause they're like swinging around the exterior of the house. I feel like they should have been showing family members, like in the window or just kind of like around the house as like all these flowers are sprouting everywhere mm. so that they're seeing like, Oh, whoa, where, what is the side of Isabella that only Mirabelle was able to like bring out, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And just like, just, uh, cause then, they fall into the courtyard with on all those flowers and then abuela shows up and she's like what's going on and like at the end of that conversation the whole family is there so why couldn't the whole family have just like been there already and like have seen the good that mirabelle was suddenly doing like and then grandma just kind of coming in and like destroying the moment yeah. And, like, no one can speak up until, like, you know, finally, like, Augustine, like, speaks up and is like, hey, don't talk to my daughter that way. Like, I feel like that would have been so much more powerful if, like, the whole family was there to, like, witness that moment. Once again, oh, yeah. good guy Augustine. Just one, one, <sighs> one thousand percent. Because, like, I could totally see, like, in my head, I'm picturing them all reacting to this and, like, at first being worried about it. But then, you know, like, yeah, being and then, really like, just proud. then suddenly joining in Peppa with, like, suddenly, like, the rain and the, some sun and some rainbows to add to the. Oh, color yeah, and, and they then, all like, come together. And then some birds with Antonio and yeah. uh, Camilo being Camilo, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a really good note that, like, if, if this movie were still in development, that would be a, a great improvement. Uh huh. I went, I just, I, I, Oh, I feel it feels so obvious. Like maybe they just had to cut it because it was a lot more animation budget they didn't have. Maybe, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like it would have added so much. Yeah. I, I th- I'm wondering if they did that just so because Louisa had her own moment with Mirabelle and they thought, okay, let's have Isabella have her own moment with mm-hmm. Mirabelle. But yeah, I. I well, think that would like Isabella like like Louisa would see Isabella. Oh, she she's being true to herself. Like and and then like Louisa like taking from that too. Like no one else needed to join in on the singing. I just wanted them there reacting to this moment and like witnessing it. Yeah, that I, would uh, actually that would actually make it a lot more powerful. You are I can see that absolutely that you are correct. Yeah, and um, the 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 thing I will say though, like I love the um at least in the the, the beginning part, I love the progression of uh their their talk singing together like mm-hmm. uh where like you know all all mirabelle wants is a hug and to get this over with she doesn't actually want to listen right and yeah. uh obviously <laughs> she, she's got her own problems and 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 isn't really interested in what mirabelle's problems is and then like they eventually like through the course of the song or actually start listening to each other and it's just so beautiful i, I love that mm-hmm we're gonna put all of these songs on our karaoke playlist next time we meet up. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely, Abs- no doubt. Oh my goodness! We just right. we, let's let's just reenact the entire movie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> although, we'll, we'll although a, I yeah. I want to Dance add. Bruno. So I'm a, so okay. I want to bring this up. This is this is just a side thing. And uh, David said he was going to do this for me, which I appreciate. Uh, he's gonna add this song at the beginning instead of what the typical beginning song was for this. So when the teaser came out, not mm. like the first teaser, like the like the 22nd one where it just showed the house, they played a song that I thought was going to be part of the movie. 
And that song sounded amazing to me. I'm like, this song sounds so cool. And um, the movie came out. I the song never appeared, mm. never appeared, and I, I hate was it when dis- that happens. <laughs> no, but here's the funny part: it was, I was disappointed, and I kept looking like at the teaser. I'm like, am I missing something? There was nothing in the comments or anything up until like a couple months later, after I'd seen the movie, I went back to listen to it, and someone said, "Great song. What is it titled?" And then one person responded, and said, Colum- uh, "Columbia, uh, Tierra." Uh, and I was like, what are they talking about? And that's all I found. And then I typed it in. This is a real song that's been out for a while. Not just a mm. while. It's like Columbia's second national anthem. Mm. So, and it's amazing. Yeah. And it's such a great beat. And I've been listening to it on loop. <laughs> <laughs> and I am so mad. YouTube, you have disappointed me. YouTube commenters, you you continue to disappoint me. It shouldn't have taken this long for me to figure let's, out. Let's this be song. honest. YouTube in general, you continue to you disappoint. disappoint me. <laughs> uh, but I but, cannot tell um, you the amount of times I've I've watched a movie or a trailer and I've been like, I love this song, and then I can never find it because it was like some like random thing that they that like whoever their their music person is found or or uh like has buried in deep lore and i'm just like i've gotta do the research so that's why you need a shazam or something on your oh phone. i use like that that's the thing is like i'll use shazam that's my that's my go-to every time and uh uh there's a lot of times where shazam fails me and i'm stuck in okay. this this hellhole that's always frustrating yeah <laughs> but yeah I, i'm gonna just recommend this song along with uh uh turn it down please listen to that Mm-hmm. Um, I also recommend listening to, uh, Colombia, uh, Tierra Querida. Mm. So. I do appreciate, uh, that they do have the one song in there that is, uh, Mi Colombia. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's original to it. And I do appreciate the fact that they had Carlos Vives sing it, mm-hmm. who is, is, if you're from a Hispanic family, you, you know who he is. You'll probably recognize his voice. Uh, my mom immediately recognized his voice uh, hmm. and was like, "That that was him, right?" So I had to make double check for her. But um, a huge staple in like just Hispanic music. So like amazing that they got that. It's hard because <laughs> there is so much about this film that I can go into depth about, mm-hmm. um, because of how many layers there is, how much depth there is to the characters and the family, and I, I also. By the way, the ending, the ending is so well done. And the reason I say this, so let me first say, uh, put this out there. The one, so one issue I had with Frozen was how badly paced the music was. And okay, mm. let me, re- let me rephrase that. The movie itself is well paced, but the music in Frozen is like, it was song after song after song and then nothing. And yeah. then another song and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot this was a musical. Uh, That's kind of been a Disney tradition though, is that, I mean. Not in this one. Surprisingly, the songs are actually well paced out throughout yeah. the movie, and they're all very different from one another. And they're, I think, it does help that Lin Manuel Miranda was from it from was in it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he did uh, basically. It's it's a part of the story, and it. Uh, I mean, even like a Mirabelle song, uh, "Waiting on a Miracle." Has mm-hmm. a different beat from all the others, just to show how separated she is from the rest of her family. Like there, there is, 
uh, the songs are just as so much a part of the story as a lot of the characters. It, I mean, I feel like the songs are characters in their own right. But the no. ending is like, it, it's a musical combination of all the songs, or a lot of the songs. And mm-hmm. what a, like, that is absolutely a mus- way to end a musical. Yeah. It also, like, really, like, reflects, like, how this family has, like, finally come together. Yeah. And, like, have harmonized. Yes. And then not just the family itself, the community. Yeah. That was something I was very happy about was, so the house is, like, all come down, and then the family's ready to try and rebuild it. But the town comes in to help. And that made me happy because I'm like, you know what? That's showing how gracious they are. Basically, they strive to help this town grow. This town has relied so much on this family, and for them to give back, I'm like, yes. Mm. Yeah, I, that yeah. raises a point I actually want to put out as kind of a, a last challenge here as a discussion. The first time I watched this, I watched the ending. I thought it was really, really good. I love the moment where Mirabelle puts the 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 door the doorknob on the house, and the house is returned to its full glory, the full living tears. sentient full t- tears. This was the part where I just I I, I openly weep. I absolutely. It's it's a yeah. it's a powerful moment. Now, and there's also, did, did did you see that that I'm, I mean, maybe this is something you're about to bring up, and I'm sorry to keep cutting you off. That's um, right. Uh, I was just gonna say that when when she uh, puts the doorknob on the door, the it does like the same effect that it does for the other doors when they get their gifts. Mm-hmm. And that the, the motif makes a lot of sense here, which I thought was really great. Like this is finally the door that she's you know should have received from the get go. Yeah. Um, I I remember at the time. Uh, leaning over to Kayla and saying, do you think the ending would have been more profound if they still got the house back, but they didn't get their powers back? Mm-hmm. Like, because again, this whole thing, a lot of it is not being defined by your gifts or what you can do, but who you are. Yeah. And the, the what you, you know, the, sh- the sharing and caring and love of the family. So the fact that they all get their gifts back at the time, it was like, I think it would have been more powerful if they hadn't gotten their gifts back. If the miracle was just, it was recognized that the family themselves being here, being around, that's the miracle. So I just want to get some perspective on that. What do you think in that? Because they do, they do get their, their, their abilities back in the end. Uh, Say, do you, do you you have any thoughts? I feel like, mm, I don't know if it would have been more profound. I think I would have kind of felt the same way. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't, them getting their powers, their gifts back, it it doesn't change, like, what what has happened, what they've gone through, and, like, how they've come together now. That's true. It's a Disney movie, so obviously they're going to get their powers back, and, you know, yay. But um, I think I would have felt the same. Okay. Either way, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of on a similar uh playing with that because like uh again one it's it's like a it's like a disney movie so <laughs> i i think uh that like they were always going to get their powers back regardless but i also feel like um them not getting their their powers back at the end uh it just it it, it felt it, it would have felt like another extra layer that you would have had to explore at the end where you 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 just you like it would there would be like a little bit of sadness to that and you want to mm-hmm. you want to end on a high note mm-hmm. um so like the the fact that they they've rebuilt everything they uh they've come together as a family and they get their powers back like that really gives it like a full crescendo whereas like if they built the house i feel like you would have had to 
when when they built the house and then like they put the doorknob on and like they don't get that their powers back i feel like you would have had to linger on that for a little bit longer i the way i think about it is so the idea the original idea is that their foundation the original foundation was shaky but now with the town coming in together uh to rebuild this house the foundation is now stronger which then makes the magic stronger Mm -hmm. and another thing that they learn is they don't need their powers to define them but it's still i mean it's still i mean their powers are still a part of them though like one of the things Mm -hmm. that um isabella realizes is the amazing things she can do rather than just making pretty flowers she can make cacti and like things that are poisonous and they're still beautiful though just not in the way that people expected Right. That's I would, it's still that's still part of her magic. Right. I would I would feel really bad for Louisa if she was that muscular and still couldn't move a piano. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I this it was just an interesting thought. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah, I, I like the I second definitely... time I watched it, I was like, you know what? I because in the early when I first watched it and I was more, more like cynical about it, I'm like, ah, uh, I don't know. I felt like it would have been more profound to me. But then watching it again, I'm like, you know what? Just. Just let them have it. They don't. Yeah. They realize it's not. It's it. They they've learned. They've all learned something, and they 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 deserve to have mm-hmm. their the to re to start again from the, with the stronger foundation. No longer is the miracle based around the. And here's the other thing too. No longer is the miracle based around the candle. The candle's gone. Yeah. I forget, oh yeah. Like, I I remember oh. watching the movie earlier, and when the when the candle like fully dissipates and and. And uh, uh, you know the, the 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 flame goes out. I remember going like, "Oh shit! Did, uh, I'm I, I'm gonna have to watch and see if they get the candle back." And then I completely forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm... but no, we don't see it again. No, uh... the the candle the candle is no longer the source of the miracle. It's this new foundation that they built. I actually just yeah. realized something too. So um, it was confirmed that that candle was actually their wedding candle, just to make things. Oh, more my, God. oh my god! <laughs> no! Why would you hurt me like this? Sorry. But here's wow. now, but here here's the thing. Their magic was founded on the loss of someone. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I was about to say it was it was a it was a self sacrifice and an ultimate act of of love and defense by uh you know by a, by an individual mm-hmm. for the sake of the family. And now, it, but this new miracle is built on on something being found i would say yeah i think on just like them coming together them and the whole community because something i I realized and i I forgot to write this down i'm glad i remember suddenly like kayla said the foundation is stronger and the magic is stronger and i think that's true in that we see casita moving things outside the house suddenly Mm -hmm. oh that's right and so we've only seen casita move people inside the house when she like throws them out but and then she's physically bringing people in like moving the earth outside uh-huh. so i think the magic has now extended to the entire town yeah. that's yeah, yeah yeah that's actually it's a good point but as you're as you're talking about I'm like yeah oh so my is gosh that, is that the what layers. The, is that what the sequel is gonna be is the house now has too much power and it's <laughs> oh no <laughs> Oh no! It takes over the village. <laughs> it's it's the next haunting of Hill House. Oh! It comes to and Therese, no! Therese Castro Smith wrote over that one too. It's all oh! coming together. It's gonna be part of the Chapek franchise. No. Oh, I just wanted to talk about the uh, Mirabelle's song about waiting on a miracle, mm-hmm. and I feel like that that song is 
a very relatable to a lot of people and I, I think particularly like kind of the millennial generation i i feel like that the, it plays into a lot of themes where like all these all these other people before me got all these great things and uh uh like you know there's there's a lot of um you know disappointment in that and she's like really <laughs> she keeps getting kicked while she's down and like that mm. song really reflects that and i i feel like that's like very very relatable for 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 our generation in particular mm-hmm. it's almost a little too on the nose in that like you know she was promised this gift by you know the later gener like the the older generation promised this wonderful gift and all this and then it never came yeah um I wish you hadn't brought that out. <laughs> now right, I'm well, just we can, sad. We can, we, can de- we can delete it. <laughs> no, I think it's important to bring it up because no, again, yeah, it is something interesting to think of. We may end on a pessimistic note, but not Encanto. Nope. Encanto. Encanto is it's just a beautiful movie. I I really like. I was very very pleasantly surprised. Like I I didn't. Personally, I didn't have a lot of expectations towards it, and it gave me so much more than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Likewise, mm-hmm. exactly the same. Yeah, and it's just such a and again, what a what a culmination in when it comes to the storytelling. Uh, to kind of put a bow on this, I just want to say, like, with Kayla and I, and actually, and to an extent, the two of you as well, having you know done this podcast for a bit, we've seen the. We've seen the medium, not just in the animation, but in the storytelling progress from Snow White and the Seven Dwarves to this point. And going, and I've been pointing out recently how the formulas have changed and how even though there's certain like, you know, it used to be really easy to say, oh, this is a Disney movie for X, Y, Z reasons. It's not quite as tropey as you used to be able to, you know, pin them down as. We're going into villains now that don't have a villain. We're going into villain, we're going into films that have deeper themes and meanings we're we're uh in a completely different medium of animation than we were when we started uh you know way back when walt was first pitching the idea of doing this this grim's fairy tale as a movie and it's just fascinating that we get to this point with the 60th film and it's doing so much building off of this legacy that's come before and you it's it's just fascinating to see how much it has grown changed and you know genuinely evolved over oh my gosh almost a century at this point since mm. snow white and the seven dwarfs premiered we're getting mm. we're getting close can you believe that yeah. did i ever tell you my grandma was at the premiere of snow white and the seven dwarfs no, no. yeah so she her her family was was all like kind of uh uh you know celebrities at, at the time in hollywood so uh i think there's a f- there might be a photo of her somewhere at the premiere of snow white wow that makes sense actually considering what i what i know about her that's that's so cool wow yeah. also uh would you say that since we we all together kind of uh formed this podcast we we made the foundation <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and and right now we're putting the proverbial doorknob on the podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh! I, yeah, we kind of are. Here it is. Click. Whoa! Hola, casita. Hola, casita. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, you need to put in the uh, the squeaky sound of the window waving. Oh, oh my gosh! Aww. I love when the house was like, "How do I save? The, how do I save a miracle?" And then the house just like shrugs. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. This movie is great. Yeah. 
delightful. Uh, do we have any final thoughts or? I think, I think, I think, therefore, I am. Uh, Thank you both for joining us for this. This has been a wild ride. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm Mr. Toad's wild ride, if you will. Yeah, I and I, I'm grateful to have both of you, not just on this final episode or season finale episode, but with us throughout the whole, uh, throughout this whole five year journey. I mean, Say joined us with three caballeros, and then I know, if I recall, uh, Ben joined us for. Bambi. Bambi. Yep. Yep. So, very was, first I was one. Thinking about that. Of Ben's was Bambi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thank you both very much. Well, it was it was really good to be a part of it to like speak on like one I love animation I enjoy Disney and you know it's part of like the the so I, I don't know you guys as long as you guys have known Ben but like it's it's part of like Disney I have a lot of love and then I have some things about it but like. I yeah. think of it fondly because it's something that also makes me think of you guys. So Aww. it was so good. I enjoyed being on the show as much and you guys putting up with my nonsense. <laughs> you have to put up with our nonsense too. So I appreciate that as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and as we all know, we would just, just my, my, my nonsense antics are uh, all over the place here, but uh, uh, thank, thank you again for, for including me and uh, it's, it's, it's always a lot of fun to talk to you and especially about this stuff that's I mean it, it, it's a part of our, our lives and it's also such like I mean it's, it's, it's a big part of you know just about everyone's life at this point uh, so it, it really touches on a lot of things it's a cultural juggernaut Disney I mean like you can you know this, the, the, thing, the thing is you can look at it through all kinds of angles here especially today and we can all have mixed feelings about where it's going and where it is now versus where it maybe was before and you know the history of this 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 company and and even just this animation studio has been full of ups and downs and things where we you can take the fairy tale veneer off it and see kind of the 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 parts that are you know hard and the parts that are um you know mean-spirited and everything too it's not it's not always that simple but you know at the end it's it's what the medium has produced that it it has staying power for a reason and when you watch something like this you see that there's still care and at least from the you know writers animators story you know story music everything that they're still they're still making incredible stuff Mm-hmm. And not just because it's a giant corporate machine these days. Like we're talking yeah. about, like this. Like I would say, yeah, Encanto is is fabulous. And I also want to say, you know, it's it's not just you guys either. I, you know, if anybody out there who has been on the show before is listening, thank you all for being our guests for this. Like you, it, it's been it's been so much fun to every every month, or roughly every month, yeah. bring someone in and be like, hey, you want to talk about this? You know, this with us yeah. and. Man, it's it, it. We've had some incredible guests on this on this podcast, and I'm grateful for every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been exactly, and we didn't plan this, but it's been exactly five years since we to started. the day, uh, almost. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, thank you for joining us on the this magical tour. <laughs> well, so those of you who joined us for the entirety of the Grand Circle tour, we appreciate you. Thanks again. Please, uh, please avoid the closing doors. Yeah. <laughs> now remain seated until the train has come to a complete stop. Then lower your head, watch your step, and disembark. And be sure to watch your kids. <laughs>
To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. Nothing new is something new. That great poets imitate and improve. Where our small ones steal and spoil. Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Justin. And if it wasn't readily apparent at that, we're huge nerds about remakes. That's why we're doing the Nothing New Podcast. Once a month, we'll sit down and talk about a remake in detail and its original, covering them in whatever order they come out, from Wizard of Oz to It and beyond. They're remaking Stuart Gordon's 1986 sci-fi horror classic from beyond? Oh, no. Not yet. Oh, that's going to be a long time coming. Anyway, if that sounds up your alley, come join Justin and I, and maybe a guest or two, to explore the wonderful world of remakes, film by film. Remakes have been done forever. People talk about Scarface don't even know that was a remake. Oh, nicely said. Don't thank me. Thank Antoine Fuqua. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.